Welcome to the MFR Coaches Podcast, where we talk about how you can create a six-figure MFR practice. I'm your host, Heather Hommel. Not only have I been practicing MFR for 11 years, I'm also a life and business coach, especially for MFR therapists. My goal is for you to understand how to get fully booked, how to talk to your clients, and how to make sure they understand what's possible for them with MFR treatment. I'm here to help you stop under earning, overworking, and burning out. I'll lend support so you can create the MFR practice you've always wanted. Learn how you can do it too, even if you live in a tiny town, and even if you're just starting out, and even if you've ran your practice for years. Let's go. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the MFR Coaches Podcast. It is my favorite thing to have repeat guests on my podcast, and you're going to be seeing that more and more often because... I like to check in with all of the awesome people I have previously talked to before because let's just face it, you're all on the edge of your seats waiting to hear what they're doing now, right? That's what I thought. So you're welcome in advance. Today I have Rini Allen on the episode. And if you all remember, she is the owner of Still Point Myofascial Release out in Maine and the creator of all things myofascial release self-care, which is a program she created that is now developing into lots of different things that we're going to talk about today. So Rini, welcome back to the program. How the heck are you? What is happening? Hey, Heather. I'm really glad to be here. It's always a nice chance to connect in with you and get a dose of inspiration and riff and geek out about all the business things that we can geek out about together. That's right. So I'm glad to be here. How the heck am I? I'm all right. Last time we talked, my eye was shattered and broken, and now I am a little more whole and my head is on straight. Perfect. Yeah, that's right. Like your eyeball was literally broken. That's the weirdest thing. My eyeball was broken when we last talked. Yes. Does your eyeball work perfectly now? What's the status on your eyeball? My eye is within normal limits. It does have some visual disturbance. Okay. Yeah. All right. Eyeball is working. Probably not like you used to know it to be, but you can see me clearly and we are okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what has that experience been like? You're within normal limits, whatever the fuck that means. (laughs) (laughs) And living with visual disturbances. What is that like? Well, at not even 50, to have some visual disturbance and to have to heal from just a really kind of random... It wasn't even an injury, but I woke up one morning and my eye was not attached the way that it should be. And it's humbling. It is out of the realm of like... I know what to do with myofascial release. Like it it took me even out of my regular kind of healing comfort zone. I did lean on a lot of what I know about myofascial release and myofascial self-care for sure. But when it comes to like literally keeping my eye together, that was out of my zone of genius. So I had to rely on the doctors and I had to rely a lot on my intuition and to have to trust that this one's outside of myself. And that was humbling for me in the way that I like things. Yeah. I bet too, like lots of people go through this experience, right? Like our MFR patients or my coaching clients or your clients that are coming to you for self-care, right? Like something triggered that event to get them to find myofascial release or self-care or coaching. And Anytime we ask for help or we don't know the answers, it is kind of humbling. Like you're taking a risk, you're walking into territory that's uncharted, and you are hoping for a good result. That's right. And so there is a place when asking for help and the experts in their field are doing their thing, there is still room for being able to rely on what you're feeling and to be able to interpret that to the doctor. Because Mm -hmm. I think that that's huge, being able to take any kind of intuitive hits, feel the resistance into having to ask for help, understanding that your body is in total chaos at the time. And it's like, there's so much to sift through in that kind of chaotic moment, but there is still the ability to be quiet with yourself and to, you know, 
I had to talk myself off the ledge quite a bit. And, you know, I mean, it was literally like eyeball uh, needles in my eye and gas bubbles being blown into my eye and the risk of losing my vision in that eye. Like it was a lot to weigh in a really Mm -hmm. short kind of chaotic amount of time. And um, yeah, it was a really interesting experience for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. So now you're on this side of things. Like we know the outcome, right? You healed up. Your eye is within normal limits. Like I'm saying that in quotation marks because what is normal anyway? And around that time, like you were just getting ready to launch your brand new myofascial release, like online programs. You had a lot going on. Like what is life like now that you've been through this? Like what is your... Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Tell us, tell us all the things. So in a timeline and trajectory that was not what I had hoped for, I am on the other side of things. And I have some cool like online materials that there's a lot of content that I put together in hopes of reaching as many people to learn about myofascial self-care as possible, right? From a one-on-one perspective, as a one-on-one therapist, when we're working to bring people literally into our door Mm -hmm. so we can literally put our hands on them and work with them in that intimate manner that us as myofascial release therapists know how to do and love to do. There is something about reaching people that might not be looking to step through the doors of a myofascial release clinic. Mm -hmm. And we all know that the word needs to spread about the fascial system, about fascial health and the importance of it, and about learning how to care for and engage and treat our fascial system in the way that us as myofascial release therapists find so much benefit in and how it's like literally changed our lives to be able to facilitate such care and to be able to receive the kind of treatment and therapy that we have received as MFR therapists. And I truly believe that we all come to this work from different ways. And if there is an online presence for myofascial self-care that really speaks into the John Barnes approach, of myofascial release, but it's done with balls and rollers and getting down onto the mat in a manner that also teaches about the John Barnes approach to myofascial release, right? In my mind, that opens up the entry point for more people. And that's my hope with building some of the online content that I've been working on building since we last spoke. I love and it. so what that looks like is I've put together an online quiz. And, you know, if you like to geek at all about online business, the hope is to bring more people into your sphere. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I learned early on is to like, you know, quote unquote, grow your email list, which is important for therapists who have a, you know, a one-on-one practice, like being able to stay in contact with your people is important, but growing your email list is big in the online world. And one of the ways that I had learned how to quote unquote, grow my list is through building an online quiz. And one of the things that I really liked about a quiz was the ability to teach Mm -hmm. about myofascial self-care and about the fascial system in a way that's kind of like fun and, oh, I don't know if trendy is the right word, but it's a thing. Like quizzes are a thing in the online sphere. And I was really attracted to being able to teach people while I was engaged with them as they took that big step to drop their email address into my orbit. Love it. So yeah, so the quiz is one thing and and then it goes on from there. Okay. So you figured out how to make this quiz. It's growing your email list. What's your email list at right now? Just curious. What's my number? Yeah. Just today, it crossed over 1,500. 
That's amazing. So here you are with this 1500 person email list. I love to brag about my 183 person email list. (laughs) You know, it's not the size of your list that makes it powerful. I know. That's why I say this because there will be people out there that tell you like, you have to have, you have to know a lot of people and blah, 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 blah. My thing is, is like, yeah, that's helpful because you can send it to more people. But if you know how to talk to your audience and you know who they are and you're constantly showing up without the need for the reward of a bigger list, right? I mean, let's face it, we all want a bigger list, but the size doesn't matter. It's how often you're showing up without the need for that reward of that bigger list as you're growing. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And vanity metrics are real and you can have a list full of people before I started doing this online thing and my list was smaller and it was just an accumulation of people that I had seen one-on-one and that had been coming to my small group in-person classes. Like before I even put out my first digital course, my list was under 350 people. And now I have seen growth, which is good. And it's not growth for the metric. That's not what it's about. It's not even like a larger list is going to necessarily generate more sales. You know that for a fact with your small list, right? Like the niche is different. The message is different. The product is different. Mm -hmm. So metrics are going to be measured differently for everybody. Yeah. I think that's important to talk about, right? Because totally, like, of course we all want a huge list because you can get to more people, right? But the part where I think that this is fascinating, this is like something to geek out about is like, it literally doesn't matter. So like for anyone that's listening to this and you're like, oh, I have zero people on my email list. Like I'm just starting out. I don't know about what any of this means. Or you make a Facebook post, then you instantly go in and look at some of the janky ass metrics to try to figure out what they mean. My point is, is like, it doesn't matter. If it's going to matter to you to the point where it's going to stop you from showing up or stop you from creating what you're going to create, that's a problem. So take it from me and you, like you have a huge list right, or a huger list that you're growing. Like we've probably started doing what we're doing around the same time frame, right? Mm -hmm. So in a year, 18 months time, you've grown to 1500. I've grown to 183. (laughs) So funny. I just crack up about that. And it doesn't matter. Like I have a very successful business. You have a very successful business. That number doesn't matter. It's important because you keep showing up and you keep designing and figuring out ways to bring more people in, right? Like your quiz. How else do you create clients? What else are you doing? Online clients. Yeah. My Facebook group, Fashion Focus Community. I make an effort to show up there on a very regular basis. That group has just over 700 people in it. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And I don't do anything to advertise that group. The quiz that has paid traffic to it right now. It's not like it's growing virally or, you know, some kind of like, oh, I just posted and all of a sudden like boom, I have all of these people on my list. Yeah. My biggest list builder up until I launched the quiz and and, and putting paid traffic to it, my biggest list builder was my Facebook group. Mm -hmm. I show up there on a very regular basis. There's a ton of information in that group. I have more of a distaste for Facebook than I can even call love-hate relationship. (laughs) I think it's dirty. It kind of grosses me out, but it's a bit of a necessary evil for online businesses. For me personally, I know people do it without it. For me personally, it's a way to stay engaged. And it's like, if you really think about like what is available to us on social media, like, yes, there's a very dark side of social media and it is it has addictive properties and all kinds of gross things associated with it. But also at the same time, like you can create an online business and basically create clients and communicate with clients and communicate with your group for free. 
Right. Right. Like you can decide what your filter is for how much time you spend on there. You know, you have to decide on purpose. Like I'm not going to get sucked into this rabbit hole and like watch all these cat videos and these unicorn videos or whatever it is. Right. Exactly. Like I get stuck on reels sometimes and I'm like, let's watch a thousand reels. And then I'm going to wonder why I feel like ass. (laughs) I know that about myself. So, you know, I'm trying to do better. But when you decide that it's a thing, a media that you want to use, you don't have to love it. You don't have to love anything about it, but you can figure out how to make it work for you. Absolutely. I used to hate posting on Facebook. And there was this moment in time where I like came out of the closet as a life coach and had to tell people that I was now a myofascial release therapist and a life coach. I was a life coach for myofascial release therapist. And I was like, people are going to know what I do and people are going to have thoughts about it. (laughs) And some people are not going to have good thoughts about it. Right. And I could have become paralyzed by that thought and never, never made an announcement. I could be doing this all in private by myself. Right. (laughs) But I'd be willing to risk the part where people would have thoughts about me and not like it for the people that would love what it was that I was going to be offering. And I'm assuming that you kind of had the same moment in time where you were like, here I am doing this thing. Who do I think I am? But here it is. Bam, bam, bam. Here's a quiz. Bam. Totally. And just for clarification's sake, like I have a lot of self-talk in my mind. I'm not exempt from it by any means. What I can't own is who do I think I am? That's just one that I can't own because I'm like a whatever. You know, I don't mind putting stuff out there. I think that was like, I think I, not to get totally off topic here. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but... Rabbit holes are the best. I don't know what you're talking about. My divorce, there was a touch of scandalousness to it. And that was way back in 2008 now, I guess. But in that scandalous... I had to really learn like my situation, the scandal of it all, that's going to be old news before I know it. Mm -hmm. And it was a little uncomfortable while I was in it. But that experience alone was just like, people are going to say whatever they want to say about me. It doesn't matter how much I rebut. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. So I didn't. I didn't rebut. I let people talk about what they wanted to talk about. I took the scandalousness of it and I kind of owned it and was like, whatever, you know? I mean, like, yeah, here's my dirty laundry. Like, you want to sniff my undies? Because that's what we're sharing right now. (laughs) I mean, it's like, that's what's out there. People are going to make up their own mind. They're going to have their own version of the story. And I can't clean up the mess. Yeah. Well, people are always going to like have thoughts, right? People are always going to have thoughts. That's the one thing I've learned. Like the thing I thought my entire life. If I could just like be good enough, be this flavor that everybody can tolerate, like I'll finally have arrived. People will like me. And that, you know, that used to be so important to me. And now I'm kind of like, the more me I am, the more I just don't try to water myself down or whatever the more people do actually like me, right? The more people can be like, oh yeah, this is great. And there will always be people that don't and that's okay because there's plenty of people I don't like too and I don't need them going out of their way to make me like them, right? That's too much work for everybody involved. It's so much work and it's painful to be somebody that you're not. And then it's painful to have those people attracted to somebody that you're not. And then you have to maintain that like false relationship. Mm-hmm. I had a woman email me the other day and she seems to think I'm funny, which that's, I think that I'm funny. You're funny. Yeah, I do. <laughs> that is one thing. You're funny. Anyway, so she emailed me saying that she was like, she appreciates my sense of humor coming through on the videos. And I was like, I made some really cringeworthy videos in the beginning of this process of like putting myself in front of a camera yeah. and doing all that stuff. And I was just like, I can't be this like super professional, polished, articulate. That's not who I am. And when I let that go, I was fine with, okay, if my words have a little bit of a pause in them. And if I look away when I'm trying to like really get a concept to land. And if I 
read back a transcript and my sentence is really like a total freaking word salad, that's fine, right? Like I'm not well polished when it comes to that, but it attracts people that appreciate the realness and the authenticity and the like, what freaking ever you're putting it out there. And you're like, you were saying earlier, you show up. Yeah. You're human. The more human you are and less robotic, the better. And I think like for all the MFR therapists that are listening, that are doing hands, you know, like, let's just face it. Most people listening to this are doing hands-on traditional myofascial release, John Barnes myofascial release. And they might have a thought. So if this is you listen in, they might have a thought like, if I have all these seminars and if I learn how to treat this condition exactly perfectly, then I'm going to feel successful in my practice. Then I'll finally be a good therapist. And the truth of the matter is it's like, we're all going to treat the same person totally different based on all of our collective experiences, the way we were listening in class, the way it felt to us, if we've had treatment, if we haven't had treatment, if we're having, you know, whatever, like there can be so many variables. How you connect with the person that's in front of you. Yeah. What we're thinking about them, all that stuff. Right. And you can be having the most shitty day and having the most shitty thoughts about yourself and you can still give an amazing MFR treatment. There's so much fluidity and forgiveness and just like stretchability. I don't even know if that's a word, like within who you are and how you show up. And it is enough, like no matter where you are in that metric, right? Act metrics, like just showing up is half the battle because there's a lot of therapists that are afraid and in fear and not showing up, which it's okay. Like I'm here for you guys too. I just want you to know, like just sticking your toe in and just showing up to work sometimes is all you have to do. And everything else will take over from there, right? Like your skill level will take over. Clients are coming. MFR is like so in demand. People are actively searching for you right here in this moment, whether you believe it or not. 1 million percent. And I use that just showing up analogy a lot as a point of inspiration for people to just get down on the mat, Mm -hmm. right? It's not like if you set your sights on having this 45 minute or hour long, like glorious life-changing session with yourself, the pressure of that could deter you from even getting down on the mat. If you're like, screw it. I have five minutes before I need to go let out the dog and feed the kid and bust a move and take a quick shower before my eight o'clock person shows up this morning. That can be the best five minutes of your day, right? And it might not be the best five minutes of your day, but a collection of those five minutes, a collection of walking through the door for your people who are waiting to get on your table, those little bits add up to some gold over time. Mm -hmm. And so you might have a shit day and you might feel like, wow, my clients went into healing crisis or even worse, they felt no change at all. Or I double booked and someone didn't show up and I forgot my credit card thing to swipe, like all the things that could go wrong do, but you still show up. And in that moment, you learn how to overcome some of those obstacles and you're real. Who cares? Right. Just because you're an MFR therapist doesn't mean you're exempt from making mistakes or doing it wrong or having somebody leave more uncomfortable than when they showed up. But you learn how to overcome those objectives. Yeah. All of that happens, right? Like you can have someone come in and they're like, prove to me that I'm going to feel better. And you like start to go down this road of like trying to prove yourself when that's totally optional. Just because someone is saying to you, prove it to me, doesn't mean that you're required to jump through hoops and do any kind of proving. The proof is in the work that you're going to do over the long term, not just like right in that one session. Right. And like really listening for the client's fear behind that question or that kind of requirement. Like they're wanting me to provide safety for them because they're afraid they're not going to get the result that they want or that they're spending money on. How can I talk to them about that? Right. So it's the calmer you can stay within your body and the more grace you give and the more room you have within yourself, right. Without immediately going to negative self-talk gives you the ability to listen quiet, like listen better and help that client that's coming in and really get to the 
the meat of the problem versus dancing. And they're like, you dance. And you're like, how high? <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> scary. <laughs> it certainly can be scary, especially when you're not so sure in your skills. But the more you see different people and the more you address different ailments and the more you learn how to ground yourself in those kind of sticky situations and the more you trust in the skills that are under your hands and the more that you can navigate the administrative like bs hurdles that all the reasons that we didn't get into being an mfr therapist in the first place we still have to overcome those but that collection of overcoming that stuff that's the meat of where you are in the present moment. And that's the stuff that makes you an expert in your field down the road. It's not like, oh, when I'm an expert, it's all of those that fumbling and bumbling along the way that makes you the expert. Yeah, That's what gets you to that level of being confident in your skills is the fumbling and bumbling along the way. Yeah. And all the evaluating and the creating, like, what are you going to do differently next time to avoid this mistake? Or, you know, what am I learning from this right now? Because if all you had to do was show up and just call yourself an expert, everyone would be an expert, but it's the people that are willing to fail forward and continue to collect losses along the way and be bad at it before you're good are the ones that are really good at what they do. Right. And you try things. And if it doesn't work, yeah, then it's experimenting. It is. It's an experiment. Yeah. I've learned that a lot. There is a difference because with the online stuff, it's like, oh, I mean, there's so many differences, but there's also so many similarities. And it's like, you try to land the message of MFR a little bit differently for the person in front of you. It's almost like a little bit of a, you look for the in, right? So there's a client in front of you and you're like, how do I land? How do I educate? How do I have them feel what's happening under my hands? It's almost like it's a little different from client to client because mm -hmm. how MFR is going to resonate with someone else, like there's a lot of variables. Yeah. I almost used to think that that was like sport in my early MFR days was like, how do I land my elevator pitch depending on who's in front of me at that time? And I was like, well, if I had my hands to use, well, there's a whole piece that is helpful as opposed to like, you know, shooting the breeze with someone at a party, like, what is it that you do? And you don't have your hands available in that moment. Yeah. But you begin to learn like different variations of your elevator pitch. You learn different pieces of educational kind of snippets around the table. Like you begin to develop these little catchphrases that's not going to resonate with everyone, but that does have a high layer of relevance and relatability. And it's, you can collect these snippets and these little blurbs of MFR speak to try on for size, depending on your situation and who's in front of you at the time. Yeah. What's your favorite thing? Like someone is like, Oh, what do you do? Or what is myofascial release? What do you say? Do I have my hands to use or my hands list? No, you're just talking. You're at a party. No touching. Uh, okay. Well, a lot of times I get a lot of information visually. Like I know this about myself. I get a lot of information visually. So I'll bring them into, I say, well, I touch people for a living. I help people feel better in their body. Mm -hmm. And I'll give them like a little bit of a intentional once over right? Kind of like look at them, do a, you know, a real quick visual analysis of what I see and be like, so let's just say you have neck pain or, you know, if I see something like they're kind of holding themselves funny in their hip, I'll be like, let's just say you have hip pain, you know, like I'll pick up on something like whatever jumps out at me, I'll pick up on something and use that as a starting point, whether I'm right or wrong. I have no idea, but, yeah, but you're willing to be wrong, right? Because totally willing to be wrong. still have a point to make. Yeah. And I'll, I'll do a little bit of a visual assessment where they know that I'm kind of visually like taking a step back and looking and starting from there, starting my little elevator pitch from there seems to 
break the ice a little bit and I'm not necessarily pitching, I'm engaging them. Like I'm having a catch with them. Mm -hmm. Like I'm pitching and catching. Once I step back and kind of like give a little bit of a visual assessment, if the situation calls for that, I mean, now come on, not every situation calls for that, but if I can use that, I will. Yeah. I think that's so smart too. Because that engages the person. Yeah. People love that too. Like they love for other people to tell them what's wrong with them. Right. That's why we love going to like psychics and stuff like, tell me what's going to happen. So I have to try. Right. Right. Then I can worry about it the rest of my life till that thing happens. But (laughs) yeah, like we love that. Yeah. And so like, if I pick up on something that's whether right or wrong, it doesn't matter. But you know, if I pick up on something in their neck and they're like, well, you know, it's kind of like right in my shoulder that still opens the conversation, like looking at them and taking my elevator pitch and almost immediately like bringing them into it. Mm-hmm. That takes the professionalism like right out of the gate. That takes me having to get my words right and freaking figure out the pitch that takes the pressure off of me almost right away. Yeah. I think that's really important too. Like for anyone listening, figure out like, what are your strengths? Mm -hmm. What is your jam? And your brain might automatically want to say, you have no strengths. You don't know. Talking about MFR is hard. But the minute you stop deciding that talking about MFR is hard is the minute you start learning how to talk about it. You're willing to get it wrong. I, even today, like I was just at the life coaches school mastermind. There were 1500 people there, right? People would ask me what I do. And I would like immediately just word salad out, (laughs) right? That what I do. And I'm like, yeah, it's real simple. I'm a coach for John Barnes trained myofascial release therapist. And people would instantly be like, what does that mean? Right. Right. It took me like saying that out loud to like real human beings versus like, I'm super good at doing it on Zoom because that's all I do all day right? And Facebook and Instagram, but to talk about it to other human beings in person, I, it was like foreign. And then to have to interact with them where I'm not in control of the situation. So for everybody out there, congratulations, there are now 1500 people coming your way for MFR because I did manage to get my shit together and talk about it in a good way. So yeah, I was introducing everybody to the directory and talking about all the different kinds of conditions that can be treated, but more importantly, talking about how it is the missing link in healthcare and why they would want it. Not the differences between MFR and massage. Nobody gives a shit. We don't have to compare ourselves to other modalities in order for people to understand it. No. And one of the things about other modalities that I say coming from a massage background and people come in and they'll oh, I've been roughed and I go to the chiropractor and I've had acupuncture and I have EMDR and blah, 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 and the list <laughs> goes on and on. Yeah, I have everything. I just say a lot of times just to keep it easy, I'll be like, yeah, manual therapy shares a lot of common parameters and there's a lot of common boundaries between certain manual therapies and they all have their value. And this is what John Barnes MFR does. Like you don't have to compare it. No. And you don't have to disparage anything either, right? No. You don't have to spend a lot of airtime on the other thing. Like focus over here. This is what we're talking about, boys and girls. (laughs) You don't need a synopsis on why it's not this and why it's not this thing over here. Right. And I don't need your chiropractor to call me or your acupuncturist will be good. (laughs) We got it. We got it. We got it from here. Yeah. Okay. So you said earlier, like just showing up has been the key factor for you in growing your online business. And in case anyone missed it, like tell us for your online business, this is your self-treatment programs now that you have created. Mm -hmm. You said in the beginning, you started out wobbly. You have all these videos of you being silly, right? But they're still a part of your program, right? The program itself is fairly well polished. Like within the container of all things myofascial self-care, all of the videos that are in that program, they're pretty well polished. People are spending money on that. It's legit. Like there is a side of me that's like, if I'm asking people to spend money, like I want this to be professional. Mm -hmm. So those videos, they're polished. Like my first Facebook videos and my first Facebook lives, like they're ridiculous. Oh yeah. Mine are too. They're totally ridiculous. (laughs) I do a lot of like deep breathing. I'm like, (sighs) 
you can like see me. I, I was so nervous. My first Facebook live, I ended up like bouncing on a big yoga ball just to like get the willies out mm-hmm. or no, or it was a primal scream. It was something I was just vibrating so hard. I was like, yeah, I have to get yeah. And then you like get on and there's exactly zero people watching. <laughs> zero people watching. Yeah. And that happens. Like I go on at 1030 every Wednesday, every week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times there's still zero people watching. Like I know from looking at the metrics and stuff, I have people that watch them. So, you know, even if nobody's on live, that actually gives me a little bit more permission to just be like, nobody's freaking listening. I'm essentially having a conversation with myself. Mm-hmm. And that's some of the best conversation that I have. I know you're so smart and brilliant. Yeah. I feel the same way about my podcast. Like most of the time, besides when I'm doing interviews and I've done a lot of interviews lately, but most of the content of my podcast is me talking to myself, Yeah, me coming up with an idea and then just recording whatever my train of thought is, which hopefully lands sometimes. I don't know. The jury is still out, but my brain just likes, it has ideas. And then I do a good job of recording the idea. Help some people. Some people are probably like, what is this bullshit? But for the people that it helps, those are the only people I care about. <laughs> right. And on the other side of that is us who is growing as a bit of an educator or a teacher or a coach, like we're growing. Yeah. Being in front of the camera, being in front of the microphone, being in front of your clients, you're growing. And so whether it resonates with someone or not, and like in that moment, you're only really caring about the people that do think that it's not bullshit. Great. But at the same time, you're also like, we're honing our skills. Yeah. And for those who the word salads... And for the non-clickable links that don't work and the pictures where, you know, the heads are chopped off and the videos that are absolutely freaking ridiculous. <laughs> and for the MFR session that, you know, was not your best and it kind of sucked. We all have those moments, but we're still growing. Yeah. And so totally. for those who show up for the shit in the beginning, when we're learning, like, thanks so much for letting us learn with you yeah, and on you. And thank you for showing up and letting us know what resonates and what means a lot and how much that shitty MFR session sent you into a tailspin and like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It was still good enough to trigger a healing crisis. It was kind of amazing. Yeah. Kind of amazing. Exactly. Yeah. That's so funny. I was just thinking too, like I was telling, sharing with you before we started recording that I just had my first session with my newest group. It's the largest group ever, which blows my mind. But like a year ago, I was only doing one-on-one sessions with people, right? And there's like a lot of room to be super sloppy when you're one-to-one. The margin for error gets less and less the larger your group is because it's you got to help more people at the same time. And they're all thinking different things and in different places. And it's a lot of moving parts. And I kind of like wanted to die a little bit several times during that coaching session, just because it was new. And it was like, I had to stretch beyond where I've come so far. And that stretching is the most uncomfortable and painful thing. And of course, we would rather just go back to the cave or go to the couch and eat cookies. But for the people that run out of the cave towards the fire, towards the thing that makes you not feel good and are willing to get it wrong before you get it right, like those are the people that are making the changes that are getting to expand and grow and do the thing. And so I just sometimes want to just toot my own horn, toot a that I survived that. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. Yeah. And it was probably a little messy, but that's okay. I'm just learning. Totally. And I think that those growth spurts, they are a little messy. That 1500 freaking mark on my email list. Now I'm going, oh my God, I can't email everybody the same exact thing. I mean, but you can. Yes, you can. I mean, I can, but it doesn't make as much sense. The context is not the same. When I'm trying to nurture people who are brand new into my world. Oh yeah. So you have segments now. You got to segment your list, right? Right. So now, well, I have to learn about how to best 
segment my list and how to manage mm-hmm. that. And so like, as the group becomes bigger, as your 20 person group is stretching your limits, as my 1500 person email list is like stretching my limits, we need to just adapt. Yeah. Right. Like maybe within the group, maybe you find like, okay, I really like having this many people, but there are some things that I need to do differently that I can't do with a group of 10. You don't know that until you do it though. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't mean anything's gone wrong. You're just learning the recipe. One of the analogies I gave to the group today was making cookies. When you start to like stir all the ingredients together, your first thought is like, oh my gosh, I'm going to need more milk than what the recipe called for because it's really sticky and hard to come together. But if you add more milk and you go outside of the recipe, your cookies are going to be wonky. Right. Yes, sometimes you do need to add a little more. But if your first choice is to just add more because you panic, you're changing the recipe. What happens if you just allow yourself to follow the recipe you've created and allow for it to be uncomfortable as it comes together, knowing that the end result is cookies? Right. I can relate everything to cookies. (laughs) The Girl Scouts have been to my door. (laughs) I'm not making any cookies. I just buy them. But do you know what I mean? Like if our first instinct is always to try to change something... Right. You got to stir through what's sticky and we can relate it to MFR because there's always an MFR analogy in there. Like you're on a spot, you're drawn to someone's quad, even though they're talking about their neck and you're like, all right, something is drawing me to their quad, even though nothing that's been said is making me think that I'm going to go out of my comfort zone and I'm going to trust the MFR principles here. And I'm going to go to that quad and nothing's happening. And shit, what if I just go right to the neck? Yeah. You're missing out on finding out why you were being called to the quad. Right. Like give it a chance to release. And so what if it takes you five minutes, right? So what if you have to stir through that cookie dough a little bit harder and some of the pieces go flying out and you make a mess and like, it's a little harder to stir or whatever. You need a bigger freaking bowl. Who cares? Yeah. Maybe you got to get the beaters out. Who knows? Maybe you have to get the beaters <laughs> out, right? Like maybe you need to put a little bit more pressure into that quad for something to yeah. happen. Maybe you need to educate and ask them some leading questions. Yeah. Maybe it's a time for deeper education. Who knows? But my point is, is if, if you leave the quad too quickly and go right to the neck where it's comfortable for you, if you add the milk, like Heather's saying, too soon, you're not giving yourself a chance to work through the recipe. You're not giving yourself a chance to work through what's kind of freaking sticky and what can feel really messy. Right. And another thing too, is like, since MFR, we don't follow a recipe, right? And so we do have to become strong leaders in the treatment room, not leading because we need people to do what we want, but in the way where we listen and we trust that we are the expert in that room. Even if you are actually like an expert, whatever, quote unquote, Between you and the person in the room that you're treating, you are the expert because you are the therapist and you get to treat how you want to treat. And if your intuition is saying like, yes, this quad needs to be released, you need to have the confidence to go there and do that in the best, highest service of your client. And it's okay for your client to object and be like, what are you doing? I told you it's my neck, blah, 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 blah. It's okay for them to be wrong about you and what you are doing and they'll figure it out eventually. Like eventually everything works out. Even if nothing happens, it's okay. And it's the smart therapists are the ones that are like, oh, I'm going to like test this out. I'm going to try this. And maybe that's like what I'm saying now goes against like following the recipe or whatever, but there is no recipe in MFR. There are the principles. Yeah. There's the principles. Sometimes I have analogies that don't make any sense, but yes. Being allowed to play and see what works and see what doesn't and switch things around, just being willing to like get it wrong before you get it right is where all of the gold is. So it's okay if you added the milk too soon and you have flat cookies next time, try it without doing that. That's right. (laughs) Maybe you get to the quads and nothing happens. And so you have to move on. Right. Like we think nothing happens, but maybe they sleep better than they've ever slept before in their life that night. Yeah. We don't know. Maybe their jaw pain goes away. Like we don't know. Right. So it's important not to ignore that stuff. Okay. We're gonna have to wrap up shortly. So what else do you want to talk about? You know, I want to talk about that. I do get inspiration from watching you. Oh, that's nice. 
We can talk forever now. Just kidding. (laughs) Even though your coaching program is not necessarily related to where I am in my MFR therapist journey, you still inspire me. And you're ballsy. (laughs) You're a total Leo. And you put yourself out there and you're not afraid to do that. And you know, we work by ourselves. A lot of us work by ourselves. I know that's not the case for everybody, but a lot of us work by ourselves. Yeah. I'd say most of us do. And it's not necessarily like, who am I to do that? Like I said earlier, like that's not what repeats in my mind. It's more like, I don't want to be a bother. Like I have that. Oh yeah. I don't want to be bombarding into people's inboxes. Sure. I don't want to push myofascial self-care down anybody's throat. What would it look like if you were pushing something down somebody's throat? Well, I mean, you know, there's like annoying when somebody ends up in your inbox too much, you're just like, oh I know, but how easy is it to just delete it? Like it is easy. It's a super big choice to be annoyed by anybody's emails. In the way like we are set up today, this is just the thought. You can borrow it if you want. Helps me. Like I could post a hundred times on Facebook and someone could say that's annoying or someone could just scroll on by or unfollow, right? Like there's so many options people have. Totally. And that's the thing. It's like back to my divorce story, right? Mm -hmm. People can say what they want to say. They're going to have the thought that they have. They're going to have the belief that they have you don't want to hear what I have to say, or it can be rooted in shit. Look, they're doing so much. And you know, it could trigger somebody to feel like they're not doing enough. Sure. All the things, all of the things you can only be responsible for you though. Right. And you can even say like, I'm having the thought that if I do this, I'm going to be a bother. And then you get to decide whether or not that story serves you. And then, you know, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I'm posting too much. And then I go back and I look and I'm like, Silly, you haven't even really been posting at all. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like people don't even really know what the hell I'm doing. (laughs) That keeps you from showing up. Right. It does. And so in the online ecosystem that I have, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or my email list or wherever the places are, there's a little bit of, God, I just, I want it to look good. Right? Mm. I want it to kind of have that professional look professional look yeah professional professional okay like (laughs) here's the thing (laughs) i just rebranded all my pictures because i have this big photo shoot and like my fat rolls are showing nobody cares right i feel so good in those pictures that's why i picked them but like if i look at it too much i'm like oh no people are gonna know i'm a little fluffy right now And that's what I mean. Like that is what inspires me. Like I kind of stalk you from across the digital room and be like, she does not fucking care. I don't. You don't. Yeah. And there's a ballsiness to it that just makes me like, I love it. It (laughs) motivates me. Good. I do. I have a deep appreciation for how you put your stuff out there, knowing that it's like, you also have the belief this is going to resonate with some people. And that's who you want to talk to. Yeah. I only want people that care about what I have to say, like to be in my orbit. And there will be people that watch just to make fun of me. That's totally fine too. Right? Right. But I believe that anything I do or say is going to be helpful to some person or I wouldn't say it. And that's the other filter I use, right? I don't spend a lot of time thinking at all about the people that don't want it. And I spend all of the time thinking about who does want it. Yes. And everything I do, say or post, in any way I show up, any emails I send out. And I get very few unsubscribes, which I find hilarious. Like the most I email is when I'm selling something, right? And one of my thoughts that will keep me from sending emails is I only email when I'm selling something, something. Mm -hmm. which actually isn't even the truth because I email all the time about my podcast, which costs me the most money ever to produce. And it's free. It's a free resource that I do over and over and over and over and over again. But that's how you show up. Yeah. It's how I help. Mm -hmm. I really believe people could create a six-figure business from consuming my Facebook content and listening to my podcast if they listen and take action. Yep. I would agree. You give a lot of really good content. Yeah. I don't keep anything back. 
I just share it all. Right. And that's the other thing is like, there are no secrets. Like, are you going to learn more in depth in my program? Yeah. Cause we're going to spend more time together instead of like a 30 second Facebook post or a 10 minute audio. And you're going to hold their feet to the fire a little bit more. Maybe. I mean, if they choose to, they might yeah. hold their own feet to the fire a little bit more. Yeah. But it really is like about showing up and being willing to see the pain you create for yourself and to see the obstacles that you constantly throw up for yourself that you just believe are factually there. Right. It's just thoughts. Like your thoughts always create your results. So if you think something's hard, it's always going to be hard unless you change your thought about it. Right. I used to think it was hard to start a podcast. <laughs> right. And now here, look at me now. I know. Well, I didn't used to hate getting unsubscribes, but I would be like, I would look to see who it was because I knew everybody. I know. And it can kind of hurt your feelings, right? Right. Like, I mean, I literally knew everybody. Yeah. And now with 1500 people on my email list and paid traffic to this quiz, mm-hmm. I don't know the majority of the people and I get unsubscribes every single day. I think yeah. the other day I sent out a newsletter and I got more unsubscribes. Like I lost people that day that I sent out a newsletter. Yeah. It happened. That's how it goes. Yeah. My thought when people unsubscribe is like, good, get the heck out of here. Because I don't want you taking up space that belongs to other people that want to be here. That's the thing. <laughs> get like, the heck out. There's no ill feeling toward it. There's not. I remember way back thinking like, who am I talking to? You know, in the middle ground of my MFR career, when I was like in the throes of taking a lot of classes and stuff, and I felt like, you know, I would have not unwindings, but kind of future windings where I would see microphones and stages and I would be like, what's my message? Who am I talking to? Like, who would be listening to me? What am I even supposed to be talking about? Mm-hmm. And in the treatment room, I got to hone that message and I got to kind of hone who was my ideal client in the treatment room. And now that's even kind of grown exponentially in the online world. And there is like, who am I talking to right now? Am I talking to those people who want to get back to their normal everyday activities? Or am I talking to people who are on like a, a path of self-discovery or a, a soul growth journey mm-hmm. or people who have done this inner work and they're looking for something that they can do on their own in their body the people that I'm attracting in the online sphere are very different than the people who would walk into my door for a one-on-one session. Mm -hmm. And I'm really learning how to craft my message to meet those that I'm excited about being able to help with what myofascial self-care can do. Because getting down on the mat is a very different activity than going to get on somebody's table. Totally. Yeah. And you want those people that want to get on the mat. And it's all under the umbrella of fascial health and understanding and engaging your fascial system and the benefits of myofascial release, but they're coming at it from a different angle. And my message is coming at it from a different angle. And that's where the metrics help me know if I'm honing my message correctly. Mm -hmm. Well, and it also shows up in your result, right? Are people buying what you're selling? Right. Are the people that you want to be buying it or are they still need convincing to do it after they buy it? Same for me, right? Like I want therapists that are trained by John Barnes. Like I had someone do a consult with me that wanted advice on some other business. And I was like, so I only coach people trained by John Barnes doing myofascial release businesses. So I'm not the coach for you. Like I can coach anyone on any topic. Mm -hmm. There's like an obvious weeding out that happens. Totally. I also don't coach clients. I had an email the other day of someone that wanted to learn myofascial release from someone else and wanted some sort of fast track to start their myofascial release business. I don't coach you either. Right. I coach the people that are putting in the work that are getting the training that are willing to do that work and what it takes to have this kind of business. And you're very clear in your messaging. Like you're very clear and you have a tight little niche going on. Like what I'm trying to do is not so cut and dry. And when there is a such a short attention span on line, when there's such a short attention span, when you've got three seconds or three lines to grab someone's attention, to try to package the benefits of myofascial self-care in such short snippets, I mean, that's been a bit of a brain bender for me. That's even a tongue twister right there. Yeah. A bit of a 
brain bender, like to really hone my message and to put material together that attracts those that are interested in what I need to do. So it's the same kind of sport as it was to try to land my elevator pitch mm-hmm. as it is to try to land my online elevator pitch. Yeah. At the minute you decide that no matter how you say it, the people that want what you have are the ones that are going to buy it. Like you don't have to create multiple messages just because you have a larger audience. I'm trying to hone my message. Yeah. You have to hone your message. But part of the honing is just deciding that what you want, people want. You are already in demand. What you have packaged and ready to sell is already in demand. And there's so many people you don't even have room to accommodate all of them. And when you're thinking like that, your message becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. Right. It is. And I am getting clearer and clearer and clearer on my message. And I I can also appreciate and recognize the writing, literally the writing and the putting together of the words, the journey that that has been to try to really craft what it is. Yeah. It's part of the ride. Yeah. It is. Right. Yeah, totally. It's the journey. Like John says, like the best part of all this is the journey. And if you can't enjoy it while you're on it, even in these parts where you're like, this seems really difficult. And like, I'm not sure what to say for this or this is messy. Yeah, this is messy. And I'm not professional. And blah, blah, blah. people are confused. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You're gonna look back five years from now, like, okay, what do you expect or what do you dream about? What is your impossible goal with your online business? What are we talking about five years from now? What is happening with it? How much money have you made? What's happening? <laughs> I have a team. I do know that. Mm-hmm. I have a team. Okay. Five years from now, I definitely, there's some things that, you know, right now I'm, I'm the, the dishwasher, the cook, the hostess, the bartender. Like I am all of the pieces. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm still scrubbing toilets. Yep. Well, yeah. I mean, I have a housekeeper in real life, but yes, in my business, I'm cleaning. I will definitely have a team. And I don't know how much money I will have made, but for so many reasons, I will have more location freedom Yeah, because it will be me and my computer that are sustaining Mm -hmm. my business. Yeah. One of the things as an MFR therapist, and I I alluded this to a little bit before, like, I don't like learning on display. Mm. None of us do, right? Like we don't want to make mistakes. If we don't have the answer, we at least know how to articulate that we can find the answer for someone. I don't like being on display and learning on display. And just these past few months, I've been really deep in learning online business. I've been deep in school and learning online business and things are clicking. And I feel like in online business and in regular myofascial release business, but like there's the beginning and you've got this dream and it's a dream and you're thinking of where am I going to open the doors and what's my space going to look like? And what's my color theme going to look like? And all of those things. And then Mm -hmm. you manifest that and it comes to fruition. And then you're like, I've got this fucking messy middle that I'm dealing with. Like, how do I deal with the messy middle? And what administrative parts do I need? What's my schedule going to look like? Now I have more people than I know what to do with. And my schedule's all over the place. Like things are coming together, but it's messy. And it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of boundary setting and it's literally putting some tangible pieces into place. And then, you know, the middle starts to get a little bit cleaner. Yeah. And I feel like that that's where things are right now in the online world for me. Like it started with a dream. I had to learn a shit ton. The middle was really messy. The middle's where you're like, why in the fuck did I decide to do this? Yeah. And now things are, you know, they're starting to fall into place and it's like, oh my gosh, my digital closet is a little more organized and my tech stack is like put together, you know, and it's not so messy. And my MFR practice was really messy for quite some time as I was juggling single parenting and having more demand than I could handle. And like, that's, it's the other side of the problem, but it's still kind of a problem if your business runs you. Yeah. Right. That's what half the people I coach are like, I'm fully booked now. What do I do? Right. Right? Like I'm frozen with fear. I don't want to work too hard. Or I have people that are paralyzed because they don't want to work too hard. So they just do nothing. And then they're like, why am I so poor? (laughs) It's like, it's not a problem. All of that's part of the messy middle. And it's Mm -hmm. like, 
getting those ducks in a row until they start stepping out of line again. And eventually they will. Oh, yeah. You always have to be ready to problem solve and also not make problems a problem. So that's constantly what I do in my business. My business is totally online now. It's the craziest. It is the craziest. And it's always evolving. Like I make a decision a year in advance for what I'm going to do for the year. Mm -hmm. And wait a minute, hold on a second. Time out right there. Can we just acknowledge that that is a beautiful place to be where you're that organized and prepared? I mean, I'm still a shit show though. So like, don't get it twisted. (laughs) I've had a lot of help, right? Like I have hired massive amounts of business coaching while I've been making Mm -hmm. this transition. This is not something I just woke up one day and was like, oh, I'm going to do this cute little thing. No, like I am spending a ton of money investing in my brain and really taking the coaching and being responsible for my results. And I know to get really good at something, I need to try it for at least a year. So I started out with that one-on-one coaching. It was like, I'm not changing anything about it for an entire year. And all I did was one-on-one coaching so I could hone the craft of coaching. Yes. And got really good at it. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to try a group. Are you still doing one-on-one? Nope. I only do group now. Only group. Okay. Yep. So now I'm to the groups and we're on our third group and it's bigger than ever. And it's scarier than ever because now it's like, okay, how do you coach this many people? Like even 10 more people is scarier, five more people. And I will do that for all of this year. And then we'll see what happens after that. Like it's, it will constantly be evolving, evolving and changing based on your needs and your people's needs. Yeah. Mostly based on like, what do people want from me and what do they need? And what is the next level thing? Now, as I'm helping people create six-figure businesses, the need is going to change because at six figures, you need a lot more help with finances. You need a lot more help with organization. You need a lot more help with bigger picture things, hiring, right? Those are things I don't coach on yet, how to hire people. Right. But I can. (laughs) And I will be... This is the other cool thing about my coaching business is like, growing at the same rate as like my clients' businesses are growing. So like I just hit six figures in my coaching business. That was my goal for my first year. And I did it. And I'm like, okay, if I can do this, you can do this, right? Right. And it's the same thing as an MFR therapist. Like I'm not willing to take my MFR patients. Like I can't take them any further than I'm willing to go. Exactly. Same with my business coaching clients. Like I have to go first. Doubled my rate in front of everybody. Yes. Right? Not just by $5, by thousands of dollars. (laughs) And live to tell about it. And you're busier than ever. And busier than ever. Yeah. And that's what happens. The only person that has to like it is you. And so like, I'm just constantly being an example of what is possible and doing my work behind the scenes where it is a hot, messy shit show and it doesn't feel good. Nothing about growing a business to this level feels good for online or in person, none of it feels good. And then when we think it should, that's when we think something's gone wrong when we don't feel good. But yeah, and it's okay. It's a constant growing. (laughs) The constant growing. Yep. Welcome to entrepreneurship. Here we are. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think when MFR therapists first sign up to do this work, they're just wanting to help people and that's fine, but it will only get you to a certain level in your business just wanting to help people. At a certain point, you have to want to have a business and you have to want to decide and make decisions ahead of time about what you want that business to look like so that you can make all the decisions you need to in order to create that result. It will happen over time, but do you want that result to take 10 years or two? There's a clear distinction between wanting to help people and running a business. Yes. And you can do both. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for showing up today. Just showing up. Just showing up. (laughs) This was a forever podcast. Okay. How can people find you online? Remind them. You can find me online at stillpointmfr.com. Okay. And they can follow you at the same handle on Facebook and Instagram or what? Where are you? Oh yeah. So Facebook, come on over to the private Facebook group, which on Facebook is Fascial Focus community. On Instagram, it's uh, stillpointmfr. And if you want to take the quiz, you can go to stillpointmfr.com forward slash quiz. 
nice. take the quiz. Yeah. Play around with it. See what you get. Take the quiz, get on her email list, get on my email list if you're not on it, because I only have 183 people. Now I'm feeling <laughs> like maybe there should be some more people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's totally you're fine. very specific. We're doing different things. Like I'm totally kidding too. Yes, yes, I know. Yes. Comparing yes. our list size is comparing apples to oranges. We're doing that's great. right. You can't grow an orange tree from an apple seed, right? Yeah. <laughs> You cannot. Doesn't work. Okay. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right, everybody. Have a great week and I'll see you next time on the MFR Coaches Podcast. Bye. Thanks for joining me today. My goal is to help all MFR therapists stop under earning and burning out. I have several resources available for you. Read my book, The MFR Coach's Guide to Having Your Own MFR Business, available on Amazon and at Advanced John Barnes MFR Seminars. Keep listening to the podcast. I'll always have fresh content each and every week. Join my group coaching program. Enrollment opens four times per year. We take all the information I teach and lay down the foundation for your six-figure MFR business. It's more than just raising rates, but you'll make that the hardest part. Then expand into the business owner who delivers your rate like it's just the news and who can sell MFR to anyone in any situation. I'll show you how. Get on my email list, follow me on social media at the MFR coach and visit my website for more information on group enrollment, themfrcoach.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.